Happy Sabbath, everyone. Happy Sabbath. Am I? Let me just make sure I'm. Okay. Good? All right. Thanks, Madison. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for that beautiful medley of hymns. Um, I appreciate that. How's everyone doing? Have a good night? Wow. It's a nice, crisp, beautiful morning, isn't it? Sabbath morning. <laughs> like it. I like it. Um, even though, uh, you know, from the islands and, you know, we're tropical people. <laughs> it's funny how the Samoans and a lot of Polynesians have migrated up to the colder areas of the uh, United States. And um, believe it or not, there's quite a few who also have migrated to Alaska, um, of all places. But <clears throat> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'd like, to, I'd like to have a word of prayer. And then I want to get into the word this morning. Okay? Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful Sabbath morning. And just as the musician, musician sang that song, Lord, we want your story to be told. We want to lift up Christ this morning and the power of the cross. Father, I pray that as we take a look at Calvary and all that you have done and how you have given us the greatest demonstration of your love at the cross. I pray, dear God, that our hearts will be touched and moved by the Holy Spirit and that we will, Lord, allow you to come in. We don't want you to be on, standing on the outside of the door knocking. We want you on the inside, Lord. And so we're praying that you would help us, your people, your church, to come into a closer relationship and connection with you. And then, Lord, as we are connected to you, we pray that you will turn us around and unleash us into the community. That we may share the gospel with others and see them saved also and your kingdom expand here in Winlock on Alaska and throughout Washington. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I want to share with you that, uh, that there are many... People who are praying for this camp meeting. Last night I was praying with uh, several pastors um, that I pray with every night. Um, we, we had a special prayer last night. One of them is actually over there in Oshkosh in Wisconsin. And I believe by the time that we got on the phone last night, it was probably about 1 a.m. in the morning um, for him. And uh, then there was another um, praying as well. Perhaps you may know him. He is the author of the book, If My People Pray, uh, Pastor Randy Maxwell. Um, was on the phone with me last night and several others. And so there are prayers that are ascending um, to heaven, um, asking the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon this camp meeting. And so that's, that's what matters to me, is what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Because, beloved, I want to share with you that we need desperately the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need revival. And if we want to see not only our homes transformed, our lives transformed, this church transformed, this community transformed. We need the Holy Spirit. And I, you know, as I've been sharing with you about my own personal testimony, <clears throat> I got into the Word again last night. <clears throat> and before I get into this, I'm going to share a couple of uh, testimonies of people that God has used, um, you know, to affect change in my life. And then God turned me around and uh, I was able to reach out to other, and uh, they've been 
transformed, praise God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I will say that I am thankful. I praise God also that I got a wonderful surprise last night. Uh, my, my main prayer partner, my dear wife, uh, we had a wonderful time last night in prayer, and uh, I praise God. She surprised me and said that, uh, told me that her and my kids were going to show up this morning. And so they're here in the back, and uh, I'm just so delighted and happy that my wife is here with me, um, my better half. Um, and then my daughter, Lala, 13, and of course my two little ones, Adonijah, is uh, now 18 months. 18 months, and Charity is four months, or actually going on five months. And so uh, praise God for, for family. So I, again, I was going through the Word last night, and you don't have to turn there. I'll just make reference to it. Um, I'll share with you about how God rescued me from a life of drugs and gang activity and in and out. So you have to be standing before you an ex-drug dealer, an ex-gang an ex banger, an ex-convict. And the one thing that I will say is that there's power in the gospel. There's power in the word. There's power in the blood of Jesus Christ. But what I found amazing as I was going through the Bible again last night with the scriptures, and I came across Matthew chapter 10. You don't have to turn there. But you're going to see those whom Christ ordained. And I was going through that list of men and I said, who in their right mind would have chosen those guys? Those, those ruffians. I mean, um, they were pretty, they were pretty uh, motley crew. They were a pretty messed up, ragtag group of guys, right? I mean, you think about it. Think about it for just a moment. Peter, Peter had, uh, you know, Always, always got, it, got himself into trouble, always spoke before he thought, was very impetuous, was very impulsive, and usually found his foot in his mouth, right? He was also very, um, he also, he was very, he had spiritual pride in, in the sense that he thought he, he was better than his brethren because he said, while all of these would forsake you and leave you, I would never do that. I'm going with you all the way to the cross. Well, Eventually, he just discovered that Jesus knew him better than he knew himself. And by the way, Christ knows all of us better than we know ourselves. So just so you know, and then, of course, you had two gangbangers on the crew. Their names were James and John. You talk about men who had wicked tempers, right? And you know what their, you know what their method of evangelism was? Lord Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn up this whole village? Some method of evangelism, right? But that was their method. And Christ said, wait a minute, you know not what spirit you're of. I did not come to destroy men's lives. I came to, I came to save them. So you had two gangbangers among the crew. You had a white-collared crook by the name of Matthew. <laughs> you, had, you had a brother who, who, who uh, would even doubt his mama in Thomas. And by the way, you also had a terrorist in that group, Simon the Zealot. And so what I'm sharing with you is that regardless of your, your background, regardless of what family you come from, regardless of where you grew up. By the way, the Bible tells me in John chapter 1 that Jesus grew up in the worst neighborhood of all in his time. He grew up in Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, is, is there anything good thing that can come out of that neighborhood? 
And praise be to God, Jesus came out of there. And praise be to God that this young man right here came out of a project called High Point in West Seattle where sirens was the norm. And, and we saw dead people lying on the curb. And we did drive-by shootings and had drive-by shootings happen on our own home. Our, our neighborhood was divided between different ethnicities. And we were at war with each other. We were there on dealing with drug turf and, and um, gang-banging in colors. And now the flag that I fly is the gospel. Amen. And beloved, I want to share with you that even once upon a time, I had this gift of gab. I was able to rap. My brothers and I put stuff on, on, <laughs> on cassette tape. <laughs> All right? Now, some of you are going to remember, one of the things that you find in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, where it talks about the increase of knowledge. Now, we know that contextually, it's speaking about increase regarding the prophecies of Daniel and the Revelation. That's what it's talking about, and we're living in such a time. We're seeing fulfillment of prophecy because those prophecies are coming to light, and everyone now, the light is going everywhere concerning the end-time prophecies of the book of Daniel and the Revelation. However, when you also think about it, it's speaking about how there's an increase in knowledge when it comes even to technology and things of this sort. I mean, look at this iPhone that I have, and I'm still, I'm way behind. I'm outdated. This is already out of date. They already have things that are way beyond this. But I will share this, that um, how many of you remember, how many of you remember the days of when we had those TVs where you actually had to go and turn the knob? <laughs> click, click, click. And you probably had like three or four channels. And then you had, if, you're, if you weren't getting any reception and you had those lines, horizontal lines going through, you had to go and get a metal hanger. Or some foil. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of dating myself here, and you guys are probably wondering, well, then what are you doing trying to be Father Abraham and have more kids at your age? Well, that's fine. <laughs> Love it. But what, I, what I'm sharing with you is that God saved me out of, that, out of the hood. He brought me out of all of that mess, rescued me. And I want, to share, I want to share with you that you know, the other thing that he took out of me, and I praise God for it, is, you know, a wicked temper. You know, um, I used to go around and used to just, I mean, sometimes, and this is just the way it was in, in the gang and in our life. They would have us go and they would have us go and call out the biggest guy on a rival gang. And the way I looked at it was that might have been a big tree, but I'm a small axe. <laughs> and I'm going to chop that tree down. Um, used to fight a lot, used to get into brawls in school, kicked out of school, um, and, 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 you know, smoking pot on campus, you know, doing all this other stuff. Um, but God, and, and the, reason why, the, reason why I wanna, the reason why I'm sharing this is not to give the devil any type of credit or glory. I want to share with our young people here today, too, that are, that, are, that are sitting here and listening, that you don't have to go out into the world to experience the things of the world and come back and have a powerful testimony. Would you say amen? amen? Now, if the Lord has kept you, the Lord has kept you and you have not done any of those things, you have not got involved in any of those types of things, I want you to know that that in itself is a powerful testimony. Amen. I want you to think about young men like Daniel and Joseph who were, who were displaced and taken out of their homes and taken to foreign countries and sold into slavery in the case of Joseph and another enrolled in the public university of Babylon. And yet those two men, in spite of being taken at a very young age and scholars and 
others agree that they were taken probably around the age of 16, 17 when they were taken to those other countries. And yet these two men, these two men transformed and saved kings and nations. In fact, the servant of the Lord writes with regards to Joseph that it was because of his integrity that the entire nation of Egypt was preserved. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Because of this one man's integrity to God, he saved the entire Egyptian nation. Now, what difference could you make if you, are, if you have integrity and you are faithful to God and you allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you to impact and affect the community? I want to share with you that if you believe that God is done yet, he's got some more, he got some more surprises up his sleeve. There are going to be some other people that are going to just shock you out of your mind that God is just going to pull out of here and there. And I want to share, this is, listen carefully, my, my, my Adventist family, that if we decide, if we continue in this lukewarm state and we continue playing church and we continue playing games with God, God will have no problem bypassing us and grabbing other people who are sitting and waiting in the wings, who are willing to give their whole lives for God and to serve him. He's going to pull them out. They're going to fill them with their, his spirit. And they're going to go out with power and authority, preaching and teaching and living the word of God. Amen. This is it's far too late. Church family, are you hearing me? It's far too late in the day to be playing games. It says work now. While it is yet day, for the night comes when we can't work. The Lord also says that we should watch and pray. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen. We need the Holy Spirit. Pastor Keith has been, he's been, I mean, just harping on that. And I'm going to back that up. We need the Holy Spirit. This church, this movement was raised up for such a time as this. And yet here we are, it's over 170 years. But trust me, I read it where the servant of the Lord says that God is about to take the reins in his own hands and accelerate, and accelerate the process. <laughs> oh, man. But now I want to turn our attention to the message. How many of you believe that what Christ did on the cross <laughs> has transformed and changed your life? Amen. Praise God, right? Praise God. In fact, I want to share with you what it says. If you would turn real quickly with me in your Bibles or if you have your devices, that's fine as well. Please go with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And, and, and I just want to share with you that that's the reason why, and when I share the second part of my testimony this afternoon, um, because the theme of, the theme, the theme of, my, of, my, of my talks is rescued, reconciliation, or rescued, reconciled, and restored. God wants to rescue people. He wants to save people. Second, second Peter Chapter 3, don't, don't turn there. Chapter 3, verse, verse 9, it tells us that um, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, 
but it's long suffering. I couldn't even, I couldn't, I couldn't draw that out even, I could have drawn that out even longer for emphasis, but he's long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay? But also it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, what the Apostle Paul says, and I, I would ask that you would read the whole passage sometime in context. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, and I want to begin at verse 1. It says, And I, brethren, when I come to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him, what? Crucified. Save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And beloved, please understand that I'm going to connect this with, I know our present truth at the, current, at the present time is Christ in the heavenly sanctuary as our advocate, as our intercessor, as our high priest. According to the book of Hebrews chapter 4, it tells us that we have a high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and, and that we can come boldly now to the throne of grace and obtain help and grace in the time of need. And if there's ever such a time that we need his help, it is now. And I, I understand that that is our current you know, present truth message along with the three angels' messages in Revelation chapter 14. Um, and I want to take us back, though, to the cross. And I want, the reason why is because I want us to, to do some thinking this morning as to the question, um, why did God create us? Why did God create us, the human race? And why did he create us knowing that someday man would turn and rebel against him? I mean, have you ever asked the question, why am I here? What is my purpose and where am I headed or going? And beloved, with our limited brain and understanding and view of God, I want us to see who God is. I would like for us to see, understand, and experience how loving God is. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it tells us that God is what, everybody? That God is love. God is love. He is the, pit, the epitome. He is, he is love. Everything flows out. From his love, including, including his judgment and wrath. I don't want to separate that from who he is. I don't want to. I don't want to cut God in half or make him seem like he's this person, and then all of a sudden, and forgive me, I don't want to be insensitive to anybody in here, and I'm not trying to be. God is not bipolar. Okay, he doesn't. He doesn't act on a whim. God does everything out of who he is and his person and his, who he is, the Bible tells me, is that God is what, everybody? God is love. Now let's look at the power of the cross this morning. <clears throat> God is love. In order for us to know and understand, we must know and define true love because there's so many different <laughs> um, definitions for love today. But when we understand God's love for us, we will understand why God created us, even though he knew we would sin and rebel against him. So, beloved, I want us to look at love. What is love? We need to understand some principles of love. And now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you to travel with me back in time, way, 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 way back, as far as, <laughs> and, and God we know um, exists in eternity past and in the present and even in eternity future. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. Um, yeah. And so we're going to look at that this morning. 
I want you to travel all the way back with me, way, 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 way back into eternity past before this world was created, before the creation of the angels and this vast, great universe of which we are a part of. <clears throat> Go back with me to when there was nothing but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. By the way, I want to also point out that I do believe, and I hope that we all believe, because one of the things that is coming to our church, and we need to be, we need to be prayerful too, is this idea or notion of this anti-Trinity, anti-Godhead teaching. Now, I just want us to understand something that I believe, and the Bible teaches us and gives us enough evidence upon which to base our faith that we indeed serve a Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Would you say amen? Amen. <clears throat> All things were created by God. There was nothing before God. He is the beginning of everything, so there must have been a time when there was nothing but God. And if you had the opportunity to be, to be in that council, to see what God was thinking, imagine the Godhead looking at each other and saying, let's create. And as God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are, are, are all there in that council and they're looking at each other and they nod in agreement. Yeah, let's create because, because part of being a creator, being who he is, because he's a God of love, he has to create. Born out of who he is, is this desire and need to create. And I'm going to share with you points as to why he did this, because God is love. Now, imagine you being in that council and you're thinking, you are smarter than them and knowing. Imagine us in God's counsel thinking that we're smarter than God and knowing what will happen. We suggest to God not to create. Okay? We suggest to God not to create. Now, I want to give you the first point. First and foremost, the reason why God created is because God is what, everybody? Love. God is love. God is love. And love cannot exist without expression. Do we, do we agree? Okay? Okay, now, this is a beautiful setting for camping, so all you got to do is look around you, and you see the expression of God's love. All these trees, everything that we see around us in nature, the book of nature itself, screams out and expresses God's love. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of us, what would your reaction be if you were with your spouse, or you were with your children, or you were with your family, or you were with your BFF, or your friend, or whoever it is, and you could not express your love? What would that look like? How would you feel? Let's just say that you, you've got that love all bubbling up inside you, but you, keep, it, it, it can't, you can't express it. It's, it's just you've got to keep it somehow um, suppressed is the word. So, that, so let me ask you, if, if God in his love expressed that love by creating all of this, do you think that it's important for us as a human family to also to be able to express love? Yeah. I would go crazy if I couldn't express my love to my wife and my kids. That would drive me absolutely mad. So God, God because of who he is, he's love, he had to express it. Now, I hope and pray that you don't as you're driving through the countryside and making your way, see, now one of the things that I love about this is I used to work in downtown Seattle. <laughs> I used to work in downtown Seattle for Seattle City Light. 
And I want to tell you, I am so glad whenever I can get out of the concrete jungle and get into the real jungle. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is peaceful. This is a calm. And one of the things that I praise God for is that even if I'm working from outpost, even if I'm working from an outpost in Ording or from wherever I am, I am situated or located, I can go into the city atmosphere and environment with a peace like this in my mind and minister and work among the riffraff of the city. And, and I praise God that we can express the love of God to those who are hard to love and to those who are loveless. Do you know that the servant of the Lord writes that the greatest argument in favor of Christianity is a loving and lovable Christian? <laughs> Notice the words, greatest argument. Not great, not greater. Greatest argument in favor of Christianity is a loving and lovable Christian. How's your argument going so far? <laughs> you like that, Pastor? How's your argument? I had a pastor tell me this morning at breakfast that he was up at 2 o'clock in the morning praying for me. And then he shared some things that confirmed what I'm sharing this morning. You see, I was wrestling with the Holy Spirit. There are, there are, there are um, unlimited unlimited messages in this word and so I was just going through my mind okay Lord what is it that you want to speak to your people speak life speak truth and I want to I want to challenge and motivate and inspire as many people as I possibly can listen folks man when God pulled me out of the when God pulled me out of the gutter and out of the hood man I was speaking a whole different language and lingo I was all about slangs and stuff like that and now here I am a box of rocks Preaching the word of God. God took all of that filth out of my mouth, took it out of my mind, and replaced it with his word. There's power in this. And now I have the ability to express and to articulate what God is trying to share, share with us. Beloved, I want to share with you that the greatest argument in favor of Christianity is a loving and lovable Christian. And I'm praying to God I'm praying to God that that argument is going strong with the Adventist church. Someone else came up to me and shared with me and said, man, I'll be honest with you, pastor. Sometimes I'm afraid to, to invite people to my church. We, so love needs to be expressed. Love needs to be expressed. Um, turn real quickly with me to the book of Colossians. I want to get it, I want to give you a couple of passages here. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. <laughs> you know the other the other thing too is I'm just this is just a side 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 light. The other thing too is funny is um, I remember years ago when I caught hold of the health message and I became a vegetarian, um, how a lot of my Samoan family and friends and, and people just really, I mean, to them that was really, that was really uh, funny, you know, because Samoan and vegetarian is almost like an oxymoron, okay? <laughs> they don't exist really. At least not at the time. Um, 
But the Lord, has been, the Lord has been doing great things among the Samoan people when it comes to the health message and the medical missionary work. Amen. And they, they, are, they are having an impact in the global worldwide work now. God's sending them here and there to preach the, and teach the message. But notice what it says here in Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. And if you're there, would you say amen? amen? The Bible says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and what else, folks? And through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things what? All things consist or exist. Go with me to the Gospel of John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, notice what it says. Verses 1 to 3. I'm just giving you a, a couple of texts on each point. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. This, by the way, is the Logos. Speaking about Jesus, the Word. Verse 3. All things were made by Him... And without him was not anything made that was what? That was made. So the Bible makes it very clear that all these things, everything that you see in terms of the book of nature was created because God needed to express his love. Love always must have an expression. <laughs> love must always have an expression. And again, I, you know, before anything or anything, anyone was created was... There was only God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Imagine yourself there in that council when God decided to create. So why did God create? Because God is love, and love needs to be expressed. And I've already asked the question, have you ever tried to withhold your love? Um, if you hold back that expression of love, and by the way, I'm not talking about some silly infatuation. Okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about true, genuine love. Um, and if you try to withhold that love, I, I want you to know, folks, that you will get sick. You ever heard the term lovesick? Yeah. You will get sick. Love must be expressed. God expressed his love through his creation. So when you see the creation of God, we see an expression of God's love. Now you may suggest to God, if you're in that council, to only create beautiful things in nature, but not human beings. Especially human beings because they will turn against you. Wow. However, point number two is, love also must be what? Sure. Love also must be shared. Imagine going out to um, the Grand Canyon or some of these beautiful other spots in the world. I, I used to live in Hawaii for about 16 years. I pastored there in Hawaii and did evangelism there in Hawaii and also had a school of the prophets in Hawaii once upon a time, training Bible workers and, and uh, medical missionaries and, and uh, coal porters and things like that. And so we, I come from the, the island of Samoa, and I was there in, in 2016, and all the beautiful sights and everything. But imagine, imagine, folks, if you're standing at the Grand Canyon or somewhere beautiful, in, somewhere else in the world, and you, you're standing there, and you're just, man, looking out, and you're enjoying the view and taking it all in, and then all of a sudden, hey, did you guys see? There's no one else to share it with. So can you imagine God creating all these beautiful things and then in the universe you can hear his voice just bellow out, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. 
and there's no one there to share it with. I want you to think, folks, why would he create the human race? And according to the spirit of prophecy, we are not the only planet with beings on it. <laughs> if you look over there in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says uh, that God created the world, it's plural. Now, there are some, of course, that they can see with the tele, uh, you know, the, the Hubble scope and all this other stuff. And they said that, you know, while it seems like it's, uh, it's, it's uh, a place where we can inhabit, I want to share with you that beyond, there are other worlds. And according to the spirit of prophecy, they have not fallen into sin. They are the unfallen worlds. This is the one dark blot in all of God's creation. And if you even study Luke chapter 15, where it talks about how Christ went out to look for that one lost sheep on a, on a universal scale, this planet fell into rebellion. The 99 are safely tucked away in the wilderness, the righteous, and Christ comes after this one planet. And praise be to God that he did. Would you say amen? amen. To bring this planet back into the fold. You'll find, that, you'll find that in the book of Desire of Ages and also in the book Christ's Object Lessons. The Son of the Lord writes that God, that Jesus stepped off of his throne and he came down to rescue this planet in rebellion. Stepped into our mess. Jesus stepped into our mess. Beloved, I want to share with you that before, as I was working with Seattle City Lights, one of the most menial jobs that I ever did was repair a broken sewer. <laughs> Tyvek suit. Hip waders. Step down. We'd be about 8 to 10 feet deep. Just a little hole you dig up. We'd go down there, broken sewer. Now, this is in downtown Seattle. I'm not talking about a residential area. Downtown Seattle, buildings. Big sewers. <laughs> Who's laughing out there? <laughs> hey, that's cool. Man, I didn't think it was funny. For Nehemiah, it's your turn to go down now. What? Well, so we go down there. And step in, I hate to be so graphic, step into all that wet sludge. And sometimes it will continue coming out of the pipe, fresh. I want you to think about this, folks. I'm down there and I'm, I'm man, getting it all, you know, all over our Tyvek suit. We're trying to repair that thing. And Christ stepped into our cesspool of a planet to save us. I don't know about you, but that's the reason why I can serve a God like that. The Bible tells me that he took upon our flesh. He stepped into our flesh. Romans chapter 8 verse 3 says that he took upon himself sinful flesh. And yet he defeated sin in the flesh. <laughs> Man. Oh, you know what? That's okay. I'll just get all excited up here all by myself. It's all right. I'm going to help you out a little bit. I'm going to help you out a little bit. I'm going to get excited for you. Because, see, when you understand, when you understand the mess that God brought me out from, that's why I praise him the way I do. That's why I speak the way I do. That's why I'm passionate about what I'm passionate about. Because I know where God brought me from. I know, I know the, when, I was a, when I was broken. Please understand that even though I was dealing drugs and I was making that, that, that kind of money and I was doing all this other stuff, I never found happiness in it. I never found joy. It was all false. Amen. 
And unless we have Christ, unless we have the Holy Spirit in us, we will never experience the fullness of joy that God wants to give us. Beloved, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. When God pulled me out of that stuff, I was praising him, thanking him. And when I see other people who are going through it, struggling, I go into the prisons, I go into the juvenile halls, I go and visit people in King County Jail, both, both in Kent and in Seattle. The brokenness on the faces of men and women. You know, Matthew chapter 25 is going to be the test of judgment. I want you to look at those questions that Jesus asked. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was sick, you came to visit me. When I was in jail, you came to visit me. When I was naked, you put clothes on me. And the judgment is going to bear out whether or not we have been faithful in carrying out the mission of Christ. And we just think that it's all about just law keeping. The law of God is law is love to God and love to our fellow men. And as pastor so eloquently put it last night, put it plainly as well. How can we say we love our brother or, or love God when we hate our brother? And do you know that for the secular mind, let me, let me just give you a little glimpse into the secular mind and what they're thinking. And some of you probably came out from that mindset. How is it that they're going to believe that there is an invisible God that, get the, that they cannot see? Unless the ones who are actually living and breathing and who say that they profess a love for God are manifesting and showing love and care for them. You see, because they don't see this God. They don't see and experience the God that we see and know. And so it is through God's people that they will come to know something of the invisible God. Amen. In fact, Ellen White says in the book Steps to Christ, first chapter, God's love for man. She says that there are those who will never, ever pick up a Bible. <laughs> <laughs> they will never ever pick up a Bible. They will never look through its pages. But she says, but it may be through you that they may come to know something of God's goodness. Amen. So my question to you this morning is, are you a walking Bible? When they look at this and they look at you, does it match? I want to share with you that one of the greatest, that one of the greatest sins that's being committed in the church and we, we like to harp on all kinds of just external stuff that we see, smoking, drinking, adultery, all of that. And all of that is bad. Sin is sin. But I want to share with you that one of the things, too, that is hampering and hindering the Holy Spirit from blessing our church is inconsistency. Amen. And one thing that Adventists have become so good at is being consistent and being inconsistent. Love must be shared. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says that if God gave us his own son, well, he will not spare anything else along with his son. He wants to share it all with us. And just because you've been in a beautiful environment, um, doesn't um, love, just because you're in a beautiful environment, is love complete? How many have been to a beautiful place? I've just mentioned that. Grand Canyon or Yosemite National Park. What if you stated how beautiful it is with no one else around to appreciate it? What if God created this beautiful universe and then said that he loves us? Love is both two ways. 
Love is two ways. Have you ever done a one-way love before? If you have, I, I encourage you to stop. Give it up. It's worthless. Love must be reciprocated. God created angels and human beings to share his love with. God didn't just create, God created them with a freedom of choice. So actually, I want to say this. Um, how many of you are thankful and praise God that love can be reciprocated? Amen. Yeah. Can you imagine if you, you expressed your love to somebody and you just poured out and lavished your love upon somebody and they never loved you back? That love was never reciprocated. Now, for all the parents and those who are married in this room and those who are courting, <laughs> you notice the word I said courting and not dating? Okay. For those who are courting and those who are married and those who have children, what would it be like in any of those relationships if you were the one that was expressing and giving all your love and it was never reciprocated? How must God feel then? When he has poured out all of his love upon the human race. And it's not reciprocated back to him. Wow. Aren't you thankful for a God that shares his love with us? <laughs> and shares all of this beauty with us. Man, Winlock, I can come back here every year, Pastor John. <laughs> Breathe in deeply this fresh air. Yes. Point number three, love is based on choice and free will. Would you say amen? amen? Choice and free will. Love is based on choice and free will. Now imagine being in that council and you say, okay, Lord, it's okay if you, wanna, if you want to create all of these things and express your love and now you want to share your love, but please don't create human beings with the ability to choose and exercise their free will. The servant of the Lord had a word for that. She says that any, if God had created human beings to be robots or automatons, <laughs> like that, God, God, and let me put it this way, you might, you might disagree. I, heard, I, I, I presented this one time before, and one person didn't really capture what I was trying to say, and, that, and that's fine. And, and you know what? By the way, it's, all, it's okay to disagree. It's okay to, you know, as long as, listen, I don't mind at all if people disagree with, with what I share or, you know, and even if somebody, you know, gets up all, all angry and just stomps out of the meeting like I've seen people do, it's okay. It's okay. But let me just share this with you, that even if we disagree on certain things, at least come away with that still respecting and loving one another. Not the type of disagreement where, you know what, I'm never coming back to that church. I disagree with you. And the reason why you disagreed was over the color of the carpet. We must be, listen, we must, the, 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 Christian, the Christian life is one of, of, of it's, a, it's a growth process and maturing process. Would you say amen? And so we must be mature enough that even while we express and share what the word of God says to us, we may have some disagreements, but we must come to an agreement when it comes to respect and love for one another, regardless of that. So, Love is based on choice and free will. I'm not going to ask you to turn to it, but Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 15. The Bible tells us there that Lucifer was created perfect. The covering cherub 
He was created perfect and in the very presence of God. But the Bible says, until iniquity was found in thee. And so I want to make it very clear that God did not create the devil. He created an angel who chose to become the devil. So he exercised his freedom of choice and used that, and used that freedom of choice and free will to rebel against his creator. Okay? We're also told the very same thing in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. It says that I will ascend, ascend my stars above the throne of God and blah, 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 and all of this, right? He, he had in his mind, he made, up a, he made a choice. God gave the angels and to us choice and free will. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, 17, don't turn to it. What did God warn Adam and Eve or what did he say to them? First of all, he said, of every tree of the garden you may what? Freely eat. But of this one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you cannot, you don't eat it because in the day that you eat of the, thereof, you will surely what? You surely die. So God gave them what? Choice. And now I'm going to go back to what I, what I shared that somebody disagreed with me about. Because God is love, God had no choice but to give choice. Let me repeat that. Because God is love and it's who he is, he had no choice but to give choice. Now, what I find interesting, too, about it, Pastor John, is that in John chapter 2, verse, I mean, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, do you know that God, even without going to the spirit of prophecy, you know that God actually forewarned our parents that something had already gone awry in the universe when he gave them that warning? Did you guys catch that? Yeah. I mean, why would, why would he tell them not to eat of this tree and about death unless something had already gone wrong prior? So even without using the spirit of prophecy, it is implied in that text that God gave our first parents warning that something had already gone wrong and awry in the universe. And if you make the same choice, the same thing will happen to you. It's in the text. <laughs> it's in the text. Love is based on choice of free will. It is not. It is not. I repeat, it is not force. Somebody ought to say amen. And force is not love. Force is not love. God does not operate by force. It has always been by love. Now, when you look at the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, they operate on two different principles. The, the devil and his kingdom always operate by force. God has always been about what? Love choice free will now let me let me throw this out to you what if they came up with some new website some new website called newchild.org let me let me just ask somebody here ask some let me ask a question how many of you in here have children please show of hands yes 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 okay now what if they came out with a new website called newchild.org and they said they made an offer Anyone who has a child that is hard-headed, doesn't listen, doesn't do their chores, um, talks back, gets out of line, spends too much time on social media, spends too much time on video games, spends too much time on all this other stuff, we want to give you an offer that you can't refuse. 
We want to exchange your child for a perfect child who will do everything you say, everything you ask, no questions asked, no headaches, no heartaches. We want to exchange the child right now, and we are offering to you this, this offer right now. How many of you would take that offer? I want to tell you right now that my dad probably would have took the offer. He probably would have took, he probably, he probably took 12 new children because my two sisters also should have been boys. They were, they were rough, man. Whew. Man, they were rough. So I've seen a couple of hands. <laughs> but how many, how many, I mean, would anyone here really do that? Okay, well, let me, why? Yeah, I like, thank you. It's your child, but I mean, what's the other reason? I mean, they're offering you a new child. Love, there you go. Because you would much rather... You would much rather that your son or your daughter, out of choice, loves you, obeys you, rather than some robotic simile or, or you know, uh, this, this person who, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, right away, ma'am, right away, sir. I mean, and just so robotic. You would much rather that there be an expression of that love where they choose to love and obey. Would you say amen? amen. I'll tell you what. I know one thing. If you guys were to exchange one of your children for a Samoan kid, you give that child right back. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. <laughs> I'm not, and I'm not banging on my people. Because I'm Samoan, I can talk about them like that. You know, and I talk to them like that when I'm with them. So, you know, uh, but man, I, you, I, I praise God for my parents. My dad, like I said, was a pastor. My mom was a friend of God, a prayer warrior. And even though, man, me and my brothers and my sisters grew up very unruly and rude. And I think about it now. I think about all the heartbreak that we caused our parents. My older siblings in and out of, in and out of prison in California. San Quentin, Folsom, all these prisons, Walla Walla. I have, nieces, I have nieces and nephews right now who are serving time in Purdy, Walla Walla, and over there in Shelton and Monroe. This is the kind of stuff that we grew up around. That's why I'm saying that God has the power to break generational curses. You don't have to keep on repeating what took place in your family generations in the past. Even though alcoholism may run in your blood, even though a bad temper may run through your family, the blood of Jesus Christ is more powerful than all of that. Amen. Are you hearing me, church? Amen. We ought to be praying over our young people, our children. Even when I'm looking at my two little ones, and, and there, are some, there are some things that they exhibit and that they show, I'm like, Lord, have mercy. That's from Daddy. Shame on us parents when we ask our children, where did you get that from? What kind of question is that? The fruit, falls not, the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. We must take accountability sometimes. And let's be honest. But guess what? My wife was pregnant, you know, these last two. And, and by the way, my, my, my daughter Lala, I'll share with you later on in my second testimony how my mom, my mom, prayed over her and blessed her before she passed away. 
And then we began praying over my wife when the child was in the womb. Lord, please help my children. I don't want them to be like this guy. I want them to be like Jesus. Amen? Okay. All right. Let me, let me finish up. Love is based on choice and free will. By the way, um, a mother wouldn't do this in spite of the pain and suffering because she would rather have a son that loves her because he chooses to. It is his choice. God had no choice but to give man the power of choice. And now you're sitting in that council and you say, all right, God, I understand that you are a God of love. But why create them if you know they would turn against you? Why create them if you know that they would turn against you? Do you know that when Jesus, when, when God in Genesis chapter 2 verse 5, it says that while he spoke everything else into creation, when it came to the creation of man, what did God do? God stooped down and he grabbed somewhat, some of that dust, some of that dust, and he formed it. And then the Bible says that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of what? Life. And beloved, I want to share with you that the moment that, that, God, or that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, he, he in essence was signing his own death certificate. And he was saying, you know what? No matter what the cost, no matter what the risk, I'm willing to take it because love takes risk. Amen. Listen, listen to what I'm going to do. Um, so let me, let me give you, John, please keep, me, um, keep tab on the time for me and let me know. From eternity past, God placed man under law. A subject of the divine government, God might have created man without the power to transgress. See that? God might have created man without the power to transgress. Thank you. He might have withheld Adam from touching the forbidden fruit, but in that case, man would have become a mere automaton. Without freedom of choice, his obedience would have been forced. Such a course would have been contrary to God's plan, unworthy of man as an intelligent being, and would have sustained Satan's charge of God's arbitrary rule. That's spirit of prophecy. Let me, let me, uh, so love is based upon free choice and free will. And love is willing to take what? Willing to take risk. Willing to take risk. And like I said, God took the greatest risk when he breathed into man the breath of life and basically signed his own death certificate. But he was willing to do it. Now there's something about God's foreknowledge and the way that he operates that Sometimes, I mean, I shouldn't say sometimes, that we just really can't comprehend. But I want you to think about this. He was willing to take risk. And it might have, you know, it might have been a calculated risk, but he took a risk. He took a risk. Let me ask you a question. How many of us here, because of, because of the love that we've experienced, we've taken risk? Okay. I want to tell you right now that all of you who got married took a risk. My wife took a big risk with this guy. I mean, she, whew, I praise God for my wife. You know, she comes from a, 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 also a, a traditional Samoan background. She was raised a Methodist. Her family were very traditional. She's half Caucasian, half Samoan. She speaks fluent Samoan, trying to teach this Samoan how to speak Samoan. And, and yet, she took the greater risk because she's the one that, that she understood that when she said, I do to me, that she was taking on a guy who had propensities and tendencies and things in the past 
I, got, I came in with a lot of baggage into the marriage. My wife, I'm not, I wasn't taking any kind of risk, really, with her because, praise God, she came in and she had a love for Christ already, but this guy was all messed up, and she was willing to take the risk and marry me, and now this is our calling and ministry. Amen. Amen. Honey, thank you for taking the risk. Appreciate you. Thank you for loving me. Let me close. Love is willing to take risks. Wedding analogy, love is willing to take a risk. Why do we want to have children? And by the way, let me ask you this question before I close. How many of you, if God gave you the foresight and the foreknowledge, and you can see way down into the future, and, and, and you would see that your children would rise up against you, and may even put you to death, how many of you would still have children knowing that? You, wow. I mean, have you ever thought about that before? Like, if, if you had the foreknowledge that someday your child would rise up or, or, or grow up, and they would turn against you, they would rebel against you, and maybe even put you to death, how many of you at that moment would still decide to have children? And yet God, in spite of the risk, was willing to create man and the human race. Would you say amen? amen. Last one. Part two this afternoon. Now, let me just read this. Never can the cost of redemption be realized until the redeemed stand with the Redeemer before the throne of God. Then as the glories of the eternal home burst upon our enraptured senses, we shall remember that Jesus left all this for us and that for us he took the risk of failure and what? An eternal loss. Worthy is the land that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Aren't you thankful he took the risk? Amen. Let, me, let me share the last one. The last one is this. Whenever you're taking a risk, you must always have a backup plan. <laughs> you must always have a plan in case of emergency. Right? Let me ask you a question. Did God prepare well for the emergency? Sure did. By the way, it says here in Desire of Ages, the plan for our redemption was not an afterthought. A plan formulated after the fall of Adam. It was a revelation of the mystery which had been kept in silence through times eternal. It was an unfolding of the principles that from eternal ages have been the foundation of God's throne. God did not ordain that sin should exist, but he foresaw its existence and made provision to meet the terrible emergency. Did you say amen? amen? And so love always prepares for an emergency. Let me close with this. Some of you may have had in your own personal life, an emergency. Maybe, maybe there's something that's gone wrong in your relationship. Maybe you discover something about your spouse that you didn't know prior to getting married. Maybe your children have now stepped out of line. Maybe they're somewhere out there in the world. But what do we do in case of those types of emergencies? Do we all of a sudden back out? And say, you know what, I want nothing to do with it anymore. I don't want to have anything to do with you. No, in a case of an emergency like that, we ought to be like God. We ought to have something in place. In other words, we ought to be able to say to somebody that is turning against us, that hates us, that despises us, I still love you. In spite of it all, I prepared for this emergency. I prepared for it. And I'm willing to love you. In both good and bad times. I want you to think about the vows that you've made with your spouse and with God. 
that if something has gone wrong, please don't jump ship and don't turn and run. God had an emergency place and plan for us. Can you imagine if God just said, you know what? Scrap the emergency plan. Let's bail out. What if Jesus on the cross said, you know what, Father? Now, he prayed a prayer in Gethsemane, right? He said, not my will, but what? Thy will be done. But he was saying, Lord, if there's another way, Father, if there's another way, if, I, if this cup can pass from me and we can do it some other way, please, but if not my will, but thy will be done. In other words, I'm willing to go through with a plan to meet this terrible emergency. Let's not bail out on people too quickly. <laughs> if God has been merciful and patient with you, we ought to be loving and merciful and patient with others. Would you say amen? amen. Give people time to grow. My time is done. But I hope and pray that your, your love for God and appreciation for God has grown today. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I, I pray for my family here. Myself included, Lord, as we look at what we've just seen, Lord, the power of the cross, the power of your love, Lord, I, I pray that that, Lord, will move the needle of our hearts from cold or lukewarm to hot. Please, dear God, I pray that you would help us to see that there are so many of us, so many people out in our communities also who don't know about what you did. And so, Father, I pray that you would move among your people. Please grant us your Holy Spirit. Make the gospel real in our lives. Not just a theory, not just a mental ascent to truth. But something, Lord, that we have experienced and that is real in our lives. Please, dear God, we're tired of just, we're tired of being a plain church. We're tired of being nominal. We're tired, Lord, of, of the extremes on either side of the ditch. Fanaticism on one, cold formalism on the other. Father, we want to be hot for Jesus. So burn us, Lord, with the fire of the Holy Spirit and set us ablaze and may we be released and unleashed to set our homes, our families, our communities, and this whole city ablaze with your love and with the powerful message of the word. Thank you, Lord. Bless my family. I love them, and I'm thankful, Lord, that they have brought me here to share the gospel and to share what you have put on our hearts. I praise you, and I give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.